Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, Conscience That Made Us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hi, this is Steve Creep and the Wild Cards, and you're watching This is the Concerts That Made Us. creep welcome to the show that's uh, great to be here thanks for having me it's great to have you now i'm looking forward to diving into your music over the next bit now you guys released your debut single wind me up back in november i mean talk about hitting the ground running it it transports me back to a time when music was actually good what can you tell us about it, it you know it's it's funny because it was probably written when music was good <laughs> 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 like i i I used to be in a band in the nineties called the Capones and that went on to about 2007. And it was around that time where it just kind of faded out. And I'd been in a band prior to that one too. And we did a lot of touring. We did all that hard work and it starts to get to you after a while. And I guess that maybe it was time for a break and I didn't know what I was going to do next. I thought, well, maybe I'll be a tattoo artist. I was playing some acoustic gigs. So the pub gigs just flew in so fast that I was like, I guess I'll do this. And just without thinking about it, that just became my direction for so long. And I've, I've done like a lot of things throughout the years, like in terms of uh, behind the scenes stuff or being a hired gun for other bands, but to front my own thing, it had been since 2007. And during the pandemic, a friend of mine from the damn truth or Montreal band here is starting to do good things in Europe. Um, I was building their jam room. And uh, he, the guitar player, Tom, had asked me, he says, why don't you 
Why don't you put in original music? I said, ah, you know, kind of did that run, getting a little older. I don't know. He goes, no, I think I think you got, you got something left in you, you know. He goes, I'll record four songs for you. What about that? Like, we got the pandemic. We have nothing else to do. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, man, I haven't written anything in a little while. So let me go back. And I, and I found these old things that we're, we never really released as, uh, as my last band. I said, you know what? The, the ideas are still, you could, you could morph them a little bit and make them a little more current. Like, like in Wind Me Up, for instance, there was no guitar solo. It, was, it sounded a lot more like Heroes from David Bowie. It was more like of a drone. Uh, you know? Yeah. So I added those lead guitars and the, the, the harmon like that melody guitar in the chorus, and I added the guitar solo and the second guitar in the verse, and just kind of gave it a little bit more because it was written for a trio originally, and I didn't have a band. I played every instrument on these demos. Well, demos—they're they're not really demos, but the idea was to just get the songs on a tape. So I, I started with the drums, and I, I went through the whole map, and um, and whatever happened happened, and he threw in his ideas and. What you're hearing is basically a 20-year-old 20 20 idea completely <laughs> brought to speed. So there's elements, you know, of that whole Green Day era, and there's elements of the, my, my influence with Cheap Trick and 70s rock. So it's got a bit of everything. So it's kind of hard to peg, but you get a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. How does it compare now, you know, being fronting a band? How does it compare now to back, like, in the early 2000s? Well, the industry's changed, right? Now we have the internet. You know, a lot of people are complaining about Spotify not paying the artists really well, which they don't. But the upside is if some of these bands that were around would recall what it was like back then, you couldn't reach people like you in Ireland from Montreal without spending a ton of money or hiding like major promotion. Now you, if you have the know-how and the drive and, and a little bit of money, you can do good things on your own these days, whereas you couldn't get it done on your own back then. So the reward is that people are hearing my music all over the world a lot easier than it would have been, you know, 20 years ago. But that's the business side. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you recorded the EP, then you decided to recruit some band members what led to that decision was it sort of thinking about shows you would need a band or well i never really wanted to be a solo artist i, I i've always been in bands i started as a drummer and then i ended up as a bass player and this is my first band fronting as a guitar player i've been a hired gun on tours and things like that but i've never really fronted on guitar and I said, well, you know, I don't necessarily want to play all the leads. I like the idea of like a band, you know, like and and but Tom was adamant about me using my name because in Montreal, I, I've made a history for myself here playing 300 shows a year for the last 15 years, you know, in, in the pubs and and doing a variety of things. So he's like, maybe that could help you catapult to, to other places. And I said, well, yeah, but. I still want a band name. But then I was like, you know what? Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I mean, Prince and the Revolution. There's so many bands that that had a name and a, and a band name. So I was like, oh, let's go with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And how has that, you know, as you said, you have a name for yourself already. How has that helped the music you've released? I don't think on a global scale it's helped me at all. I mean, like I said, I think he was thinking immediate. I told him, look, if you're going to record me, I'm not going to do this just to release an EP in Montreal. And, and I'm going all in. You know, it's like you said, hit the ground running. And it, 
I'm not here to play around. Like, look, I, I put the time into recording the songs. What's the point not putting the time into to touring and, and pushing them uh, through media and stuff? It makes no sense. I see so many bands just getting lazy. You know, they, they put all the work into the recording and then it comes time to release it. And they just either they don't know or they just don't have the, the drive. I don't know what it is, but I see a lot of local bands that just have a, they have that glass ceiling where like, oh, you know, they got a thousand streams if they're lucky on, on Spotify and, and, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of bands kind of it's built into them that once they press that button and release it, that's all they have to do. That's, you know, the Internet will do the rest. It's been, you know, what that mentality, I remember that since the mid 90s. I started playing in bands in 94 and I still remember that. I've never thought like that, but I've seen so many people do that. I'm just like, you know, one of my favorite bands growing up was Kiss. And, you know, you could knock them all you want, but they had both sides covered. They, they had the stage show covered, they had the songs covered, and they had the business side. They, they knew, they had a focus, they had an idea of how they wanted to get it to the people. And look, you know, they, they just shot until it worked. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't think any band could ever do it the way they did. There's a, a quote I seen there not so long ago. You know the way they've done this virtual concert thing as the future of their concerts? Yeah. They were being yeah. interviewed and they were asked, once you stop, how do you keep the KISS train running? And uh, Gene Simmons just said, hey, we bought the train. You know, what are you going to dispute this guy? He's got 50 years of doing... He's been shooting down the critics for 50 years, so... What are you going to do? You're going to prove them wrong again? You're still not going to prove them wrong. Look, a lot of people aren't biting that that Avatar thing. I'm not. I don't. I, I saw the clip of it, and I was like, eh. I think it's geared more towards kids or whatever. I guess maybe they're trying, like Star Wars, they're trying to get that next generation of kids to grow up with the music. But I, I, for me, look, I've got, I grew up with them in the 70s. I'm 50 now. So, like, I grew up with them as part of my childhood, as, as much as Spider-Man and Star Wars and all that stuff. So, I don't need the avatar thing. I've got the great memories. I got the albums, you know. But hey, look, if people want to if people want to get it and it and it's selling, then who am I to tell them you can't? Right? True, true. And back to your band then. How did you go about recruiting the members you wanted? Well, the the bass player Scott, I've been playing with on and off since he was one of the first musicians that I really met in the city. And I was his bass player for many years. We've been in um, a slew of cover bands, and we we were just in a band called The Peelers, which is a Celtic punk band on Stomp Records. We did three Canadian tours with them, and uh, he was the hired bass player, and I was the hired guitar player. And we, we've been comrades since goddamn day one. It was crazy how how many years I've known this guy. So to me, we work really well in the sense that uh, we don't have to look at each other. We, we like we don't have to discuss our image or anything like I know where he's going to sing. If I'm singing the lead, I know he's got my harmony. And if I, if I dress a certain way, I know he's going to show up dressed to rock. So I'm like right away. I was like, I need, I need my starting goalie, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, Canadian hockey terminology for you. Um, the drummer was the guy I met him in the peelers. So he's the one who approached me and said, I heard you're doing this thing. I, I want to be a part of it. I'm like, man, you just saved me. A hassle of looking for a drummer because he's one of the most consistent drummers I've ever played with. And being a drummer myself, I'm always really that's the one thing that I'm really picky about. 
And then Phil, you know, Phil, our guitar player, he's the kid of the group. And I saw this guy with so much potential, but he's not playing with the, the guys that are really making him flourish. And sometimes I even feel like I might be holding him back because he's a hell of a guitar player. But uh, looks great on a stage. He's the, the one thing you want, you know, in 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 music when you're stuck in a van with somebody for 10 hours you, you want to make sure you're getting along because yeah. <laughs> we've had those we've had those memories that are not so not so fun but uh with these guys they're like we laugh all the way through the, the rehearsals we laugh at the shows we, we laugh every minute we're together so i got my three best friends and i got three talented guys where i don't have to look and you know they they, they hold me up just as much as 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 we hold each other up so yeah I, I couldn't ask for more good to hear good to hear and are you going to continue recording all the instruments yourself or will you bring the band in you know i'm not a, i'm not a, i'm not off the idea i i did the four songs you, you i don't know if you got the press kit there's four on the press kit yeah yeah um but i only re- released a single so far we Tom and I have recorded um, three more where I'm playing all the instruments. But from there on in, uh, you know, it, it it's not so far in the future. And it's not crazy to say that we will record as a band because I, I, I don't really want to. I, I, I want them to feel like they're every bit of a part of this, because in my opinion, I can't do it without them. You know, a band can't do it without their fans and a solo artist can't do it without his band. So in my eyes, I'm a band. So why not? You know. True, true. You know, when you look back on the creation of the band right up until this point, what's the most challenging part been? I think the intimidation of getting restarted, you know, not knowing the new side of the industry. I, like, I always had the easy job. Like, I was always a hired gun, so I didn't have to think about the business end of thing. I didn't have to come up with artwork. I didn't have to think about even writing the music i'm literally just learning somebody else's parts and going on tour and just acting professional (laughs) to the best of my ability so it was learning how to do the digital the digital world which you know i know how to use computers and things like that but i never had to market my music so i did a lot of reading in a short amount of time like when i do something i go all in so that was probably the biggest hurdle was just getting all the, the the website, the EPK, all that stuff just kind of lined up. And then to get it, to shoot the video, I, I never shot a video before. So I had to, I shot it and I edited that myself as well. Because in this industry, like we, we say already like several times, like you got to do every part of it yourself now. And, so, you know, when you're starting out, there's no point getting a manager and all that other stuff. You're just wasting your money if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Why pay someone else to do something you can do yourself and you probably do it just as well. Well, look, I, I met a lot of people in the industry over the years. You know, I worked for some really good bands. I was a guitar tech for some bigger bands. And I've got a lot of insight. I've seen a lot of things on the road. I was uh, with Def Leppard for a month, and I got to see how that world operates. I mean, that is the most elite level of professionals that you're going to be surrounded by. I've done backline work for artists like uh, Smokey Robinson and Foreigner and all these bands. So it's, you really you, you get you watch what's going on around you and you talk to people and it, it's amazing what you learn if you just keep your eyes open and your ears alert and you incorporate that. Yeah, definitely. But uh, we'll dive into your own history when it comes to music. So to give the listeners a, a wider sense of who you are growing up, how did your local music scene affect your sound? 
You know what? Not very much. I, I didn't grow up on on a lot of even Canadian artists for that much. I, I, I grew up, you know, like, yeah, I guess in my era, there would have been, you know, Brian Adams and Honeymoon Suite and Helix and bands like that. April Wine. You know, there are a handful of good ones, but oddly enough, I didn't really, I wasn't massive fans of of any of those artists. I grew up more like on American and, and British rock. So I really love Led Zeppelin and uh, The Who. Uh, those are like my my big UK guys. And uh, Thin Lizzy, Ireland's greatest, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there's so many. And then the American side was like Cheap Trick and Kiss. and uh, That was the 70s portion but you know come the 90s the 80s i grew up in all that hair stuff but i also grew up on the pop so i love prince madonna and huey lewis and all these artists and i also like you know twisted sister and molly crew and things like that so i was i was always open to, to, to everything but in the 90s yeah i mean it all seeps in and i, I like i said i've been playing covers now to that's how my day job you know i just play pubs every night so when i'm not touring and uh, I, I got occupy my time doing that. And so I have to learn, you know, everything from like Coldplay to Motorhead. It's it's crazy, you know. And I do a lot of Celtic stuff because in Montreal, there's a lot of Irish pubs here. And so I, I got to do all the, the Molly Malone and all that stuff. And it's amazing what you learn, you know, from taking from all these genres. And maybe some of it seeps in, maybe it doesn't. I, I It's it's not conscious if it is. It's just uh, I take whatever I think I like, I hear it. I, it in the pot yeah i get you i get you and you know it's called concerts that made us so i have to ask as a concert goer what concerts do you think have made you man i mean the first concert i ever saw was white snake with steve Vai in 1990 because that was still the hair thing was a big thing back then being steve Vai, you know in his prime i mean not like he's not still in his prime the guy's ridiculous but uh i mean uh and my my hero was Eddie Van Halen, as you can probably tell. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I wish I could play a tenth of what he does, but um, seeing him in in 2008 and 2012, a lot later than I would have liked to. I would have liked to see him in the 80s. But a show, you know, it, it wasn't a concert. It was a it was like a smaller venue. You, you ever hear this band from the early? Actually, speaking of Jeff Pilson, it's an extension of Dawkins. The Lynch Mob. Yes, yes. Okay. I went to go see The Lynch Mob in 1992, and this is with the second singer, Robert Mason. And the venue had to hold maybe 800 people. But they didn't really announce the opening band. And I just remember, like, when I got to the venue, there was this bum <laughs> sleeping under the tour bus outside. And I was like, wow, he's, he's pretty wild even for a Montreal bum back then, you know? We're waiting for the band to start, and all of a sudden, you know, the smell, you could smell it in the audience and he comes on stage i was like what the hell is going on and he's got like this little ukulele and he starts off with this this really light thing and then they bash into this this set like i hadn't seen anything like that yet like grunge was coming in and hair was on its way up but it, there was a little bit of both you had the allison chains and the pearl jam but you still had you know warrant and and and, and all those motley crew and bands like that were on the outs so this band was somewhere in the middle plus 10 because they were doing like, it was like Sex Pistols meets Motley Crue. They they had the hair, but they were really dirty and the energy, the songs were like cheap trick. They were super catchy, but like really aggressive and punchy. The subject matter was very, 
very topical. <clears throat> I talk about everything from being robbed to being homeless and, and being, you know, being the underdog, basically. But the message was still positive and just the delivery was so, so strong. I, like, I've never been impacted like, like that at any concert in my life. I've seen a lot of shows. They were called Life, Sex and Death. Right, right. I'll have to, I'll have to look them up. See if I can find anything about them. Well, yeah, they have a cult following you. Like they've got their own little religious thing. And I'm, I've been following Alex Kane, the guitar player, over the years. And I got to meet him in Toronto uh, over the summer. He was playing in a band called Pump Five out there. And he, he goes, he plays with uh, Donnie V from Enough's Enough, and yeah, he's plays Shark Island, and he's, he's on the circuit still. So. You know, thanks to modern technology, you can chat with some of these guys and in some cases become their friends. And it's been a really a great honor to be able to talk to a guy like that and tell him, man, what an impact. And I, I even he still sells the Life, Sex and Death shirts on his <laughs> on his Facebook. So that's how he got through the pandemic. Actually, he was he knows that his biggest fan base is still from 1992. So, <laughs> yeah. They're on Spotify if you go look for them. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to check them out. And, you know, at the moment we've been waiting for, for any listeners who haven't caught one of your shows, what can you tell us about it? Lay it all out first. Well, I feel like rock and roll in its in its pure form is you're not seeing much of it anymore. So, you know, a lot of guys are using tape. And look, I was in a band prior to this. I was a drummer in a band called Playhouse where they used tape live, but the production was... They were going for a glossier thing, you know. This is a rock band. We're like, if you like 70s rock and roll and you like 90s rock and roll and even a little bit 80s, you're going to get the big choruses. You're going to get a raw rock sound. It's not too formulaic where we're going through the motions because, you know, we'll change the intros and ends to songs. We'll, we'll change the order of them and we'll just, nothing's really rehearsed. You know, we don't really rehearse very much because we're all very seasoned musicians. So we got the show down. Now we just go out and we play. So the energy is really what I think kids need to see to really be inspired. Like every time I, I'm in a bar, people still seem to flip out over ACDC and bands like that. And I'm just like, so why aren't we getting more of it? Like the world wants it, but somehow there's like that this invisible force field that doesn't want them to have it. Like we've got to make Taylor Swift and all these artists overshadow. There's room for everybody. I mean, all those pop artists wear Metallica t-shirts. So what's to stop rock and roll from still being good? I guess maybe the, the misogyny of the eighties kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths in today's world. You know, everything's got to be really politically correct. So, Maybe the 80s is viewed as something that's not really desirable. I, I don't know. But you, you get bands like Greta Van Fleet and The Darkness. And oh, I really love The Darkness. And uh, there's there's a whole bunch of good, The Damn Truths from Montreal. I mean, that's as, as pure rock and roll as you're going to get. I mean, they sound like Janis Joplin singing for like The Doors or something. You know, they're really good. So it, there is good rock and roll, but you like, the industry's changed. We don't have MTV anymore. So th there's not featured shows where kids can just find that sort of thing. You know, They're, they just take what they're fed predominantly, which is pop music today. So, yeah, I don't know. 
I, I think uh, rock and roll, if, if, if it's heard, will be understood. When I sent out these songs to everybody, including yourself, some people latched onto it, some people didn't. I knew that was going to happen because what this is all about is just me doing what I want to do. I'm not writing or rewriting these songs to, to, to please a certain demographic of people. I'm writing these for me because I know that if I connect with it, somebody else is going to connect with it. And all you got to do is find them. That's it. That's it. That's, that's my take. The concerts you've played then over your entire career, is there one that sticks out as the best experience you've had? I think I remember the worst ones more. (laughs) (laughs) That was the next question. (laughs) (laughs) I played one where the whole drum kit fell off stage. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've had some doozies over the years. But, you know, um, the more more pitches that come to the home plate and you swing at, they're not all going to be hits, you know? (laughs) Um. You know, I I played some big ones that were really fun, but uh, yeah, normally the outdoor festivals. I remember I remember weird things. You know, I remember like getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and, and not being able to escape. Like just the, the, like you're so wrapped in the moment that you're not really. I, I for me anyway, I, I'm not really thinking about just taking in the audience. So it's, it's 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 a shame too because I would like to be able to take that in more. But eh, I guess, you know, I just I play every night. I do over 300 shows for 15 years now in 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 bars and doing the tours. And sometimes I just forget to look ahead of me. I'm just like so I'm like Pete Townsend. I'm just in my in the zone. <laughs> I'm in my zone. And I just uh, try and uh, connect with my guitar and make people connect with that, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, I get you. I get you. <laughs> I'm having right. fun. <laughs> we'll flip it around and you can tell us some of the worst ones bar the drum kit falling off oh man I remember I was playing drums for this one band I'm not even going to mention their name well, you wouldn't know them anyway they only they were all junkies and they only played about five shows before the band had to break up but a bass player would show up you know I was the drummer and uh, the bass player and the, the guitar player singer they were like Han and Nirvana wannabe guys they wanted they liked the the glamour and the imagery of, you know, the heroin and the ridiculousness of the whole rock star thing, but the grunge era version of it, you know? So it wasn't cool to know how to play your guitar. It was cooler to walk into jam with no shoes on and smell like you had slept in five days. And so I remember it was the singer's birthday and uh, Scott was playing bass at that show too. Uh, no, sorry, he was on second guitar because their bass player was the wacko. And so the singer had gotten so annihilated prior to the show that I remember he fell over his monitor, his mic stand, his guitar, everything went right off. Oh, my God. The front of the stage. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking at Scott. I'm like, I'm just going to I'm just going to keep going. Somebody's got to hold this thing down. And he's like, yeah, I got the bass player starts letting his bass dangle. And he's doing this kind of like Lord of the. Lord of the Dances thing. <laughs> the bass is like bang, bang, bang. We're like, and that was the last show we did with them. And then we heard the one after that. They had trashed all their instruments in the third song, and the band had to break up because they couldn't afford any more. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure the bar didn't want them back either. Though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I play shows where I've, I've trashed drum kits. I was really big into Keith Moon and Dave Grohl and guys like that and Green Day. So I was, 
I have a thing for smashing my gear. It gets a little expensive after a while, but uh, yeah, very quickly, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun if you can if you can get away with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to being a musician, then is there one thing you would change? Oh, I think maybe um, not for me. You know, just the environment. It's not the healthiest always. You know, it's. Um, you know, when I'm on tour, it's better than what I'm doing in the pubs in the sense that there's so much drinking in the pubs and you're surrounded by a lot of people who are just not really happy. Whereas when you're on tour, you might be tired from the sleep, you know, the sleep deprivation in a van and uncomfortable accommodations. But you're on an adventure and you're seeing you're seeing things that you don't normally get to see if you had any other jobs. So. I can't say on my end that I would change anything about being an original artist aside from I wish I made the same money I did playing Wonderwall for all these drunks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and even man. that's not terribly glamorous, but hey, you know, it's yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had hard day jobs still. <laughs> and before we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans that are set in stone. What's the goal with the band? Any gigs, new music? Well, we're we're starting a radio campaign uh, that's going to be, unfortunately, not so much in UK, but there's a company we're working with that's going to be focusing on Canada, the States, uh, Australia, and New Zealand, and possibly some countries in Europe, but they didn't really specify much about that side, unfortunately. I'd like to find more connections out there to really break break the waters there, but over the next month, we're pushing Wind Me Up and that that's the only reason why I haven't really um I haven't really gotten to do the second single yet because I really wanted to make an impact with the first song because in today's world people have no attention span. So you just keep drilling to get the band name, the the, the brand out there enough that people start hearing the repetition, you know. And we're getting momentum that we're like today we hit uh, twenty-two thousand streams on Spotify. So for 10 weeks. For an indie band with uh you know no prior history it's very good it's, it's not a bad start you know so uh i'd like to get it you know to 30 40k if i can in terms of streams but what's more important than just the number of streams is the people i'm connecting with but seeing where we're hitting and where we're not who's reacting to it and and in what way and i think the radio is going to really uh change that for us we want to tour canada in the next coming months so this radio campaign is really about pushing us in Canada so that we can at least have some traction when we hit the road there. So the idea is, yeah, like a, a song every after this, I don't want to wait three, four months. I want it to be two months at most. I know where to put my money now. I know I know where I'm going to be marketing. So it's, it's going to cut time and costs. So now we're a little more focused and um, we have our direction, you know, like this was a learning curve, this whole releasing the first single. So um, I learned a lot in a short period of time. So yeah, from here on, it's going to be one song every two months with along with a video and as many live shows as we can. And if, uh, if we can find it to, to be worth our while to, to head out to your side of the world, man, I'd, I'd rather go out there than the States right now because the, the visas in the States are, it's ridiculous. And the rock fans in Europe are, so much better right right i thought the easier option would have been the states when you're in canada no well you know 
I've got friends who tour Europe more than they tour the States. And yeah, touring Canada is convenient in the sense that you don't got to get on a plane, but it's not convenient when you see how big the country is. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, some of those drives are, are like 12 hours and it's one line back and forth. You don't really get to do much as zigzag, like the States is smaller and you could just zigzag every two hours. You're getting hit something. But in Canada, if you veer off course, you're, once you get to middle Canada, those drives are minimum seven, eight hours. And then you get to the Rockies on the other side of the country. And, you know, it's a, those, those drives are winding up and down hills. Your ears are popping and it's hours and hours and hours. So it's a little, little rough, you know, on you. So you got to choose your months that you're going to do it. I'm not in the middle of the winter, you know. So Yeah. Jeez, doesn't yeah. sound too fun. <laughs> Look, it's a beautiful country to look at. Like, if you haven't seen it, you know, even a dozen times, I still enjoy it. But, you know, when you're in the middle of the country and you see the moon on one side and the sun on the other, and it's just like a flat line, you're like, oh, it's it's not exciting until you get to, to British Columbia. That's where the view gets really, really nice. But the shows are really, it's about seeing the different mentalities and the different people that come out to all the shows. I, that's, I never get tired of that. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. What's the what's the scene like in Canada at the moment? The rock scene. Well, rock scene. I think it's more of an indie indie pop is still really big here. In Montreal, we really like our punk and our our metal. You know, seems like the the heavier and raunchier you are, the better off you are here. But they have a harder time breaking through. I think on a global scale. I mean, we had some heavy bands from here, like uh, the Agonists. We did well uh, overseas and down south in Brazil and stuff. So I don't know. For what we do, the thing is, what I grew up on and what I what I feel like I sound like is a cross between classic British rock and classic American rock, which is not as big in Canada. But I don't really care. I'll, anybody who wants to hear it, I'll play it. You know, some bands will play for a hundred people here, but they'll play for a thousand people there. You know, so look, cause. You just go where where it is. And... Yeah, go where the crowd is. And uh, we'll dive into the last couple. So these are a few random, odd music questions, but I'm looking forward to your answers. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Oh, Freddie Mercury. Right, right. Oh, my God. Tell me that's not the greatest performer of all time, next to, like, maybe Elvis. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very common answer I get, all right. Yeah, you you take Freddie and Freddie probably above all, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, God, um, that that Wembley Stadium during the, the the Live Aid is just unreal. Yeah, yeah, nothing could ever top it. Here's where the odd part comes in. If you had to spend twenty four hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be? Wow, uh, probably Prince or Eddie Van Halen. Right. I was expecting Van Halen, all right. Yeah, well, Prince is the guy that got me started in music. And, and everybody, you know, when, I guess because I play rock, when they they know that I'm the guy who recorded all the instruments, they think of more of a Dave Grohl. But I, to me, it was Prince. Like, I, the guy plays everything and he's better than everybody in his own band. It's unbelievable. And then on top of that, he can he can record it and produce it. And then he can perform it better than anybody. It's just... The charisma and the strength of this guy on stage, it's, his power was limitless, just unbelievable. So 
him and Freddie Mercury, in my opinion, are like probably the two of the greatest that you'll you'll see on the stage. But his talent was so much more wide in terms of musicality. Mm, definitely, definitely. And the final one: what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Oh, oh man. I'm sure it would be funny, whatever it is. Probably like a Jack Black song or something ridiculous. <laughs> right, right. The beautiful disaster, you know, like <laughs> in a million stories. They're not all glamorous, but they're pretty funny. You know? Good I, was gonna, I was at a, I was playing a show last night, and a, a comedian comes in, and I let him on stage for you know 15 minutes to let him get his thing out of the way. He's talking to me after, and he's like, "Man, you should be a comedian. The things that you you say, your the way you compare things, and the way you analyze this. And man, it's not, I'm not trying to be funny. I just call it like I see it, you know. But if you give me inspiration on a stage, yeah, I'll just I'll let loose. Yeah. <laughs> you to give me a funny looking audience, and off to the races I'll go. <laughs> I, I look for the fun in everything. You know? Hopefully I'll get to catch one of your shows at some stage, whether it's oh, in like Canada or over from, here. Oh, if we, if we come to Ireland, uh, we're definitely hitting a pub. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Listen, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure now. Thanks a million. Oh, thank you so much, man. And, uh, we'll, we'll meet one day. We'll meet one day. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.